Today's show is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. You know how much we value ongoing education on the Cloudcast. And CBT Nuggets is exactly what Aaron and I wish we had when we were trying to get our certification early in our careers. CBT Nuggets is all about bringing a personalized touch to learning about cloud computing, virtualization, networking, DevOps, and much, much more. Whether it's their hands-on labs with personalized coaching or the online chat functions that come up with every instructor-led course, CBT Nuggets' team of experts is always there to help you get the most from your training and your PASA certification. You can check it all out at cbtnuggets.com slash cloudcast and sign up for a free trial. You get access to the full catalog of great training, including virtual labs, quizzes, and other premium features completely free for the first seven days. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And Brian, it is our end of year review, 2021 in review, and and as always, predictions for 2022 as well. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Happy holidays to everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy Happy Hanukkah. Uh, you know all all the things people celebrate. Uh, hope everybody's doing well. Um, yeah, this is always this is always a fun show, but uh, we we do always sort of warn people if this is the first time you're hearing it. This one always runs a little bit long. Uh, we have a tendency to sort of ramble a little bit in this one. But uh, yeah, man, it was, it, was, uh, it was a good year. It was, uh, it was a really interesting year. Um, why don't we do this? We'll kind of, we're going to skip cloud news of the week. Why don't we cover a little bit of what we call sort of podcast business? Because I know from year to year, we always like to give folks a, a rundown on, you know, how the show's doing, how it's growing, some numbers, uh, just some, some stats and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also a quick bit of trivia I was just thinking of, and this is off script for just a second. So 2021, Lots of virtual work. Everyone's kind of doing things remotely. And for those that don't know, Brian and I, we live, what, 15 minutes from each other? Yeah, yeah. Ten, Thereabouts? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 10, 15 minutes. Have we seen each other in person this year? Uh, I think there was that one time. Times. Yeah, a couple you, of times. You came over to drop off something that got mailed to your house in my name. Other than that, I don't know that we've actually seen each other. Yeah, we're social distancing. <laughs> Local, so, <laughs> local social distancing. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought of that. I was like, oh, wow. Holy crap. I know, anyway, I know. moving on to podcast business, though. So so even though we haven't seen each other much in the last year, we crossed 11 years yeah. for the podcast. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, it'll be 12 years come February. We are, uh, yeah, we're like the OGs of the podcasting world. I don't even know that like... Yeah, I mean, there really wasn't anybody doing this stuff back then, and now there's a million of them. So it's you know the fact that everybody listens and we keep growing the show. Thank you to everybody for for listening. It's been uh, it's been a crazy twelve years. I, you know, I got to thinking about it. Like when we first started, this was a very infrastructure on-prem centric show. I don't think there's a, we're going to get to the you know kind of the year in review. I think maybe the thing that jumps out at me is like. I don't know that there was all that much things that happened on prem anymore. Like I think we crossed the chasm of where we started <laughs> right. to where we are today. Right. It's taken eleven years, but the cloudcast is is truly the cloudcast. Yeah. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so we we crossed uh, we crossed five hundred shows back in March. Uh, I think we're probably going to hit six hundred shows next year. So that's kind of a good milestone. I think at one point we <laughs> we did some stats like how many shows The Simpsons had and like shows like Mash and some of those things. So we're yeah we're getting up there into the into the big numbers. 
we did about 20% more listens this year than we did before. And we, we kind of beat our threshold for, for most listens. So, you know, th- this first whole segment is all basically just thank you to our audience. Like, yeah. you know, the fact that yeah. you guys keep growing, keep telling a friend, it's been, it's been awesome. Um, I don't know that we've ever told anyone publicly this as well, but I think it's, it's, it's really funny. Um, did, did we ever t- tell them the story about like um, our, our, our provider that we've had for the entire time is, is Buzzsprout. So we yep. love Buzzsprout. Yep. Um, did, did, have we ever told the story about how we were on their one of their original plans and they had to kind of come to us and kind of go, hey, guys, you really need to start paying your, your share. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were freeloaders. Well, we weren't freeloaders. We've always paid for it. We've always paid for the show. But yeah, at one point they said, you guys have, you've, you've exceeded your, your network bandwidth and so forth. So yeah, but they've, they've always been, they've always been awesome. And again, it's, it always goes to, uh, to the audience that we, we, we got a couple of awards this year. It was kind of nice. I mean, sometimes we get mentioned by people that say, Hey, like we like listening to this show and that show when we go on, on rides. We got named uh, the number one cloud podcast by uh, by BuzzFeed. Um, that was pretty cool, like kind of officially mm-hmm. named. Um, we got, we got named in one of the top twenty security podcasts, which is a little ironic because I don't think either of us would claim to be security people, but uh, we're lucky to have you know security's become sort of a day to day thing, and we've had some pretty cool guests on there, so that was nice. Um, and then I think I, you know I looked. We're in. We have people listening, and in some places it's you know one person, but one hundred and thirty countries. I mean, yeah. like, to me, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, and, no, and it really is. Th- thank you to, you know, what I want to know, I, we need to look up some of those countries and just be like, we should send that person a t-shirt as like, you know, the <laughs> cloud expert for the whole country. Like every, any questions you have, you can go to that person. And uh, you right. know, should, if you're if you're the one person that's in an obscure country and you listen to the show, send us an email, send us a tweet. We will we will go into the, into the bin. We will find some t-shirts so that uh, you can be recognized as, as the cloud expert. Yep, yep. And we had some new new launches this year as well. So we did Cloudcast Basics and yep. we did we did that in a slightly different format. We did that almost like in a you know, seasonal and and binge dump, dumping them into the feed kind of thing. We did, ended up doing four seasons of Cloudcast Basics. Yeah. Um and that's out there for so again, you know, anybody that's new to cloud and and these concepts, you know, maybe it's somebody new to the industry, maybe it's a, you know, an executive that you want to help get smarter on it, you know, make sure you you pass that around. Um, and then we launched the the Sunday Perspective Show as well, and, and and Brian, you've been very successful with that, and 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 really done a great job. Just day, you know, every day, uh, excuse me, week in, week out on Sundays, getting the Sunday Perspectives done as well. So thank yeah, you those that. have been those have been fun. Those have been kind of the, you know, I think I started off having one idea for them, and they turned into. We did a lot of sort of historic perspectives. We did some things about how to get into different jobs. And so it was it was a nice way for us to just, you know, kind of talk about other things that we tend to talk about a lot off camera or off microphone, I guess. So that was kind of cool. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so, you know, it was a good year. Um, you know, thank you to everybody. We're going to talk a lot about, uh, you know, things we talk about, which is like what happened in the cloud and, you know, the guests that we've had in the past. And so let's get to right after, we'll get to all that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Megaport. Are you looking for an easier way to connect all your clouds that you're using? With Megaport's network-as-a-service platform, you can spin up private connectivity to as many clouds as you want anywhere in the world in minutes, not months. All the world's top cloud service providers, such as AWS, Azure, Google, are already on the network and at your fingertips. And it's all software-defined, no hardware necessary. Just point, click, and connect. So if you're looking for a way to improve network performance and security, lower cloud cost, and turn up hybrid cloud and multi-cloud connections quickly and easily, Megaport is the cloud connectivity solution for you. Learn more at megaport.com. That's megaport.com. 
Reimagine Connectivity. And we're back. And and Brian, why don't we launch straight into this has always been an area that I've I've found super fascinating, and I know I've gotten comments on it before. Um, a little bit of the financials, and, and you know, we we tend to follow IPOs of of guests and folks in the industry, as well as VC funding as well. So why don't you kick us off? Yeah. So you know, one of the things that we always track um, is you know the guests that we have on the show, uh, both this year, but but over the years, like. Uh, you know, do they are they getting VC funding? So it sort of helps us know if we're picking guests that that the industry thinks are are promising and so forth. Not that you know all the guests aren't interesting in some way, but we sort of track: do they get funding? Do they IPO? Are they acquired and so forth? And and up until this year, I think we had um, you know about sixty five or seventy of the guests had been acquired uh, in one way, shape, or form. So it was a little more than ten percent of the guests at some point had been acquired. Um, and I think the way the numbers worked out, and I'm sort of throwing these out historically just so we have some context, like uh, around $6 billion of VC funding had come in for those some 600 shows and about $60 billion in sort of outcomes, if you will. So like IPOs and, and acquisitions and all sorts of stuff, you know, the things that we could track. and. The acquisition and things are a little skewed. We've had a few, like like GitHub was a huge number, Red Hat was a huge number, uh, a few of those. But the reason I throw that out there was, so in the first, you know, let's say 550, 560 shows, we had about five and a half, six billion dollars in in VC funding that came to our guests. This last year alone, we had two and a half billion dollars, <laughs> right? So basically, you know, in one year, half as much as we've had in in ten plus eleven years. So there's a lot, a lot of money flowing in. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll put a list in the, we'll put a link in the show notes to all the all the people. But I mean, Sysdig had five hundred plus million, Net4j uh, three hundred million, CockroachDB two hundred and eighty billion or million, you know, Grafana Labs two hundred million, Lark, Launch Darkly two hundred million. Vercel, 150 million. So I mean, like lots of big amount of money flowing in. Um, so that's been that's been a really interesting thing. There's there's a lot of money, and then on the IPO, on the IPO side, uh, 2.6 billion dollars. So again, not as much uh, as as you know we've seen in the past. But I mean, 2.6. We saw HashiCorp, we saw Confluence, we saw GitLab IPO. Um, so I mean, there's. There's a lot of money in our industry right now seeking, you know, great solutions and seeking new technologies. And, and that's, you know, pretty cool and, and really, really healthy, I think. I think it feels a little bit overinflated, but but really healthy. That's a good good sign. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and let me ask you this. This is a uh, kind of a conversation topic real quick as well. Uh, you know, I've been joking on the Cloud News of the Week when I've been covering some of these these round it. Uh, Everyone's a unicorn now, um, but 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 I'm wondering, like, yeah, you know, you go back ten years ago, you would not have seen these this number of hundred million dollar rounds and, and billion no. dollar valuations. And is this truly a shift in the VC industry and the IPO industry of like we're seeing? more VC rounds for bigger things and delaying IPO. Like is the model of a round is build the product. B round is, is, you know, perfect the product and get those first couple of customers. C round is pour gasoline on the fire and get a whole bunch of customers. And then you, you know, IPO is close to C round as possible. Are those days just gone? I think, well, I'll, I'll give you two answers. I'll give you a little bit of, 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 you know, my opinion or kind of thoughts, but the good news is we're actually going to have a show coming up uh, after the break and, uh, you know, after January that we're really going to kind of dive in with some folks from the VC community to kind of get their perspective. But 
I mean, my, my take, my two cents is I think it's a couple things. One, um, the cost of capital has been so cheap lately, right? I mean, it's, you know, 2%, 0%, depending on where it is in the country or, you know, around the world. So there's a lot, a lot of money flowing, um, that's easy to get. Um, so I think that's part of it, right? And how long that'll last, you never really know. And I think the other thing, and this is just my gut feel, but I think, you know, way back in the day, um, you know, you weren't necessarily competing with these these mammoth mammoth companies of, of you know the big three cloud providers or an Apple or a Netflix or whatever you know category you were in um, or a Tesla that had you know just massive massive amounts of cash. You were sort of like you know, the, the biggest company, a Cisco or an Oracle or a Microsoft were really big, but they didn't feel as massive. And I think what's going on, the reason we're seeing so much money flow in is these VCs are like, we have to fund these things at significantly higher levels in order to either get like first mover status or to give them any chance of sort of David and Goliath in, in that. And, uh, you know, I don't know yeah. exactly how they do it, but it feels like those two things. <laughs> it's an arms like, race of money. <laughs> yeah, it is. And when the money is, is really cheap, it, you know, it's different. Um, you know, if, if money was 5%, 6%, 8%, I mean, like this is the thing I hear all the time is, um, you know, you'll hear people that are, you know, smart at, at financial modeling say, look, you know, if the stock, if, if, you know, the interest rates go up 1%, like the stock market's going to drop like 50%, right? So I think there's a lot of leverage built into these, into these things. But, uh, you know, for now, um, you know, get as much money as you can build up those war chests. We've seen this, you know, happen in the past where smart CFOs go, when money's cheap, I'm going to build up a huge war chest because I don't know what the next year is going to look like or the next two years or whatever. So I think yeah. we're seeing a little bit of that too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing that was really cool is, um, you know, there were a few other acquisitions. We don't list them all by money because sometimes they're not announced and we don't necessarily like to speculate. But like, um, I thought the other thing that was pretty cool was a lot of people that we've had on the show did some pretty awesome stuff, right? Um, like you, <laughs> you went off and, and and dedicated yourself. You completed your first uh, half. Was it no? Your first uh, uh, half half Ironman, half, yeah, half Ironman yeah. triathlon, which was yeah, freaking awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that was a that was a, a a lot of work, and and not just to like if anybody who's either you know have done triathlons or thinking about triathlons, um, you know the running joke is why be good at one sport when you can suck at three? And <laughs> like from a technical standpoint, like yeah, I mean I got across the finish line, and I'm going to do some more next year actually. But but it was uh, it was fun. It was entertaining um and i learned a lot and a lot more to improve on for next year but yeah got the first one under my belt <laughs> yeah so that so, was cool burned four thousand calories in one day oh, wow. um was the was the thing yeah it that took me about six of, hours a lot total. of cookout milkshakes after the, after the run <laughs> as, as for anybody who anybody who's who's listened for a long time knows that anytime aaron aaron goes right to the milkshake after the after the event is done exactly Yep. A couple other things that I thought was pretty cool. Uh, you know, longtime friend of the show, Peter Ulander, was named CMO at MongoDB. Uh, they're growing like a rocket ship, so congrats to Peter. And he's building a very, very cool marketing team over there. Um, you know, a lot of companies that are, you know, had formerly been open source software are now blowing up in the SaaS space. We're going to get to that. Um, our friend Kenny Coleman, who has been on the show a number of times, both as a technologist, but also, uh, you know, as a fellow podcaster, launched his own line of bourbon. Uh, he launched, I mean, he's been doing bourbon for a while, but officially launched his his first bourbon, his first rye. So Bourbon Pursuit uh, and Pursuit Bourbon is doing awesome. So it's, it's cool to see people's, you know, hobbies, our friends' hobbies kind of turning into things. And then 
you know, probably your favorite, uh, Andy Weir, who, who wrote the, the Martian book, uh, wrote another book, uh, Project Hail Mary. So it's, you know, probably fits in your science fiction category. Oh yeah. And I, I read it, you know, the, within a couple of days of it coming out and, you know, blasted through it in a couple of days and very good book, highly recommend it. Um, so yeah, um, I, I, I definitely enjoyed that. Um, and then we had, you know, just some acquisitions as well, you know, past, uh, guests on the show, uh, cloud checker got picked up by NetApp cloud physics got picked up by, uh, HPE, a cloud guru, uh, you know, yeah. very good friend and, and early, uh, entered and kind of helped define the serverless space. They were acquired by plural insight new stack, you know, Alex and everyone over there, they were acquired by insight partners. So lots of changes, um, you know, as there always is. Yeah, year to year. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, let, let's let's kind of dive into sort of trends and stories. I think um, you know we we cover a lot of stuff in Cloud News of the Week. Um, it's sort of random throughout the year. Like there might be an earnings announcement, there might be a, a cloud outage, there might be you know ten new you know capabilities announcements. But let's kind of like I think on this show we always try and structure them a little bit and, and kind of put things in a bigger context, and it then it sort of helps us think about what might come in, in 2022. Um, I guess we should probably start with, you know, the biggest news story of the last two years, which is COVID uh, still existing. Uh, we're, we're now on to a third or fourth variant, uh, whichever one you're, you're sort of listening at the time you're listening to this, but it did do some really interesting things, right? I think it, it completely redefined where people work. I got a really interesting uh, email from LinkedIn letting me know, you know, how many people had changed. I think, I think, let's say I've got, I don't know, however many thousand people that I follow and follow me on LinkedIn. I had 800 people in this last year uh, change jobs. So it was, <laughs> wow. they literally came yeah. back and they said like, like 25% of people changed jobs this year, which is mm-hmm. nuts. Um, but I think a lot of it, and you and I have sort of lived this life for a long time, but you know, when you can work, when you aren't bound to, you know, Austin, San Francisco, Seattle, Boston, wherever, um, a lot of pretty interesting and creative things happen. So I think, you know, to me, that's that's the first biggest takeaway was, you know, the the shift in where people worked, um, where they could work, where opportunities came along. That was that was really uh, pretty pretty far reaching, if you will. Well, yeah, and I don't, I don't know if you had this, this happen to you personally or not, but you know, we get hit up by recruiters, you know, every once in a while, and it, and it, it's funny with us being in Raleigh, like, yeah, it's a tech hub, um, but it's maybe not as big of a tech hub as some of the other cities, that, you know, that that were just mentioned, and a lot of times, one of the first questions was always like, "Are you willing to relocate?" And right. you know, for at least for me, right now, and I think you're the same. Like my answer at this point in time is no, and then they're like, "Okay, well, thank you." Right. Um, <laughs> but that, that was the you know you just you just qualified yourself out of that one with that recruiter and that hasn't necessarily happened a- anymore you know there is more of that and we're hearing of a lot more of that you know I, I know there's been uh, a lot of our friends here in the area um, uh, you know have as you mentioned have changed jobs but have changed jobs in something where they're able to work from home and a lot of times for us in the past it was like well got on planes a lot you know you traveled a ton uh before this and i i traveled a good bit as well leading up to it don't travel anymore don't plan to travel um and it's it's interesting because i think a lot of folks kind of were like well at some point we're gonna have to go back to all of that i still don't see that happening i'm not gonna say it's not going to happen but i don't see it you know happening in the near future yeah well and i think we've you know, when when it all when it all happened, it was you know pure panic. Nobody knew it was going to happen. We all thought it was going to be a short term thing. 
then it dragged into a long-term thing. It dragged into this year. And I think by this year, you know, people had sort of figured out like, okay, how am I going to work in this given kind of a, I don't know what the end date's going to be, right? And so you saw a lot of those things happen. Um, but, you know, we've also seen a lot of companies who have, you know, sort of said, hey, we, we have been remote first or remote only or whatever since day one. So GitHub, uh, uh, HashiCorp, you know, two sort of famous ones um, for being, you know, really, really remote friendly and they're doing really well. And so I think, you know, sometimes it's it's just like any change we have in technology. Like you talk about like, hey, this change is going to be the thing that's going to happen or this will be better. And there's always a lot of pushback and, you know, change is hard and people resist change. But, you know, it, it's been going on now for, you know, coming up on two years. I think people now see what it is and, I think, A, they've figured out like, hey, I can be relatively productive. Um, unfortunately, you know, we're probably burning people out and driving them crazy. But the other thing is I, I got to imagine there's a lot of CFOs who are like, hey, um, you know, I now have some options on getting out of a lot of rent or buildings or whatever. And I'm not mm-hmm. opposed to people working from home. You know, give them the fanciest monitors they want. Give them the nicest chairs they want. It's still way cheaper than, you know, having a building in downtown San Francisco or New York or any of those sort of places. So, you know, I think yep. I think we're now at the stage where it's like, okay, this is this is an option for normal. It won't be everybody's normal, but it'll be an option for normal. And for those of us that work remote, like that's that's pretty awesome. Yep, agreed, agreed. You want to talk clouds? Yeah, I mean, we always you know we always kind of come back to follow the money. Um, that's always sort of the, the first place we start and the last place we end. Um, you know, Amazon sixty billion dollars. Uh, Azure ended up. Right around sixty billion, give or take. We always talk about Azure is a little trickier to to measure, but you know, AWS and Azure are neck and neck, uh, both in that roughly sixty billion dollar range, both growing more than thirty percent year over year. So, I mean, they're going to be closing in on eighty billion dollars next year. Um, you know, they're slowing down some, as you would expect with big numbers, uh, and then GCP is around fifteen billion, and and GCP. I think AWS and GCP are the, the really the most interesting ones for, for very different reasons. I think GCP is sort of showing, hey, I can make money. Um, There's been a lot of articles written here lately about uh, about Kurian, the CEO, about like, you know, are his tactics working from a money perspective? Are his tactics working from a Google culture perspective? We always knew those would be sort of counterintuitive. <laughs> um, but but yeah. most importantly with them is, is going to be, you know, does does the Google sort of leadership say, you know, they said back in 2017, we need to be number two by 2023. That's coming up pretty quick. And and they've got a, a long, long way to go. So um, Google, Google is really interesting to watch in terms of, you know, which culture is going to win out? Will the leadership stay in place? And um, so that's a, that's a really interesting to watch, but it's really, really different than what's going on at AWS. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. AWS, you know, new leadership and, and you, you know, you you kind of did the the wrap up show um, on reinvent itself. Reinvent felt a little different, right? And I was actually surprised at how many people did go to the show. Yeah. Uh, you know, neither you or I went to the show, but you did an analysis of it. But I will say this: it, it is very apparent they they're both trying to stay the course and differentiate themselves slightly you know going into very specific verticals and, and right. doing very specific applicate you know application in the cloud stacks if you will and some of these other things um and and so i think that that is a good logical next step for them and i'm interested to see where all of that goes um 
And this goes into this larger concept too of, uh, you know, you and I have been kind of talking it, you know, this idea of a super cloud, <laughs> yeah. right. And are just like overlay of cloud services where, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that, Hey, at the end of the day, it's a SaaS service. It's a SaaS service that, you know, is, you know, probably running on top of yeah, one of the big clouds and it has some kind of cloud native service behind it. You know, Snowflake is the one that's, that's mentioned the most, but there's so many others out there. Right. Um, and what happens going forward, right? Uh, you know, does the idea of AWS as your, or GCP, Going directly to the consumer, how much does that matter if somebody like some of these other big companies are building on top of them anyway? Well, I think, yeah, and I think what's what's really going to be interesting is, is you know, for the longest time, it was, you know, Amazon would come out with something that was really new, right? So, I mean, even even EC2, you could argue like, oh, well, it's compute, it's a virtual machine, but like. It was really new. It was on demand. It was. It had all these different ways you could pay for it. It had different ways you could scale it. And then you know they they sort of built up these primitives, these these main things, which were you know pretty amazing. S three, all those sort of thing. You know RDS. And then they started filling the bucket with you know a lot of nice services. Um, but it felt like for a long time those services were like they were feature lacking. But but they were like, hey, I have everything, right? Like I have everything you want. We're the sort of everything store. And I think we're now seeing this sort of next generation of things built on top of those primitives, right? So Snowflake or, you know, CockroachDB or MongoDB Atlas or whatever. And they're just significantly better in terms of features and capabilities. And then they're starting to build in this stuff that's like, and oh, by the way, um, yes, you can tell me you're in AWS, but if you just want to extend it to Azure, like I'll just take care of it for you. And that's, I think, the premise that we're that, that sort of you know some people have called it super cloud some people have called it some other stuff um distributed cloud right they're not calling it like hybrid or multi but it's sort of this this new overlay i think that's going to be really interesting because again it sort of it beats it beats the clouds in the sense of like if i can give you a better experience than this one that they have which is sort of notoriously coming back being feature lacking um, you know, will people keep using Snowflake versus Redshift or MongoDB, you know, from, from, from Mongo as opposed to sort of the copycat open source only version? I think we're starting to see that, like, if you're really good, if you build differentiation, like, that can be successful and the market rewards you for that. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And then uh, I'll take it another area, you know, if we kind of go the opposite way of, Others that are up and coming or, you know, um, getting known for other things. There's Cloudfare, Cloudflare. Um, you know, we talked about it in Cloud News of the Week. They, they keep introducing some, some things and they're kind of chipping away um, yeah. at yeah. areas that, you know, again, AWS customers in particular, they, they might be, mm -hmm. uh, it's both a high profit cost center for AWS as well as a high pain point for customers, right? It's a, and people have historically written it off as a cost of doing business, right? But that's an advantage or excuse me, an opportunity for a company like Cloudflare to come along if they can do it cheaper and they can reduce some of the friction 
there's a market advantage for them. Um, and then there's DigitalOcean, right? DigitalOcean, historically, and again, friend of the show, they've been always uh, courted to developers primarily and, 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 and more of like becoming like the developer in SMB cloud, right? right? And so you're starting to see, hey, some of these companies, maybe I don't want to go out there and compete with the big three. Maybe I want to define my own smaller market category or sub-market category, whatever we want to call it. And I'm going to differentiate in this smaller market category and cater to this audience, right? Because it is, there's enough people there and I'm growing at a decent enough clip. You know, you don't need to always be the big fish in the big, big pond. Yeah. I think, I think that's a thing, you know, as we get into 2022 and we start looking more like, you know, what's, if you look at the big three, they've, they've all sort of filled out their portfolio. They all have a hundred plus services. How many of them are really good versus other, you know, people can determine that. But, you know, when you get that big, the market tends to go, I'm going to kind of chew away at things. I'm going to find places that, that have become blind spots for you or, you know, you're not paying as much attention to. And, I, yeah, I think you, you highlighted it, right? Like DigitalOcean's kind of eating away at their SMB space. Um, I mean, they're trying to go after that SMB part of it. You've got, uh, you know, Cloudflare just openly being like, we're going to go after your bandwidth networking costs. And then I think the other one area that's really interesting is this whole sort of like, you know, Vercel and Netlify and some of these that basically are these like sophisticated and, and uh, Cloudflare's doing the same thing, sort of like this sophisticated sort of like, Web Edge slash SCDN slash, um, you know, basic computing that, you know, as things become more mobile or, you know, people are like, hey, maybe I'll use a couple clouds or whatever it is, like they become more interesting. And I think all of those folks, um, you know, are, are figuring out like, I'm not going after them. I can't spend $40 billion in CapEx, but I can, you know, I can, I can chip away at these things. And they're going to be really interesting ones to watch because, you know, in the past, like a big vendor, if somebody like that was eating away them, they would go buy them. But the AWSs and Azures and Google don't seem to be acquirers as much. They sort of seem to have this DNA of like, we're just going to keep building the things that, you know, we know how to build it for our systems. So they, uh, I, I think, I think we're, we're going to get to an age where competition is going to come back into the game, uh, but it's just going to come at it, not as another big player, but just lots of like little, little ankle biters, little flanking from the left, flanking from the right. Yeah. And I also wonder, too, thinking out loud for a second, you know, you and I have both seen many times and 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 also been part of it at times, you know, acquisitions into larger companies. And let's just say for a second, you know, some one of these things happens where, um, you know, AWS decides they're going to change their model and go start doing you know a bunch of acquisitions, for instance, right? Well, you and I have both seen those and been on the inside of those. Like they don't always go well, right? Like right. the tech is different, the culture is different, the people are different, the founders leave. Like all of these other things happen. Uh, and something I've always kind of ha- had in the back of my head is like, how often does this acquisition? into you know to get into a new market how often does it really work (laughs) right because i feel like i feel like that percentage of times like yeah you know like i get it you want to go fast and you want to get get into a market really fast but then also too like i can completely see hey you know what if we have the money and the time and the resources to go build and compete on the longer term let's just go do that yeah well i mean they 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 do they do have the money i mean we know they have huge 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 piles of cash and and yeah you're right i mean most most acquisitions maybe maybe one in ten pan out for companies um you know i i I know that from being at Cisco for a long time but also being at companies on both sides of it you've been on both sides of it like 
it's really hard these days to get the right technology fit, get the right culture fit, the right business model aligns. And, you know, so, you know, that I think is probably, you're right. It's probably part of it. It's like they don't acquire because they just know that acquisitions don't tend to pan out terribly well or the best people tend to leave. So, um, yeah, yeah. no, I think um, that's, that's, I think that's the other part of why we're seeing, you know, going back to some of the stuff we talked about at the beginning, we're seeing these, you know, D, E, F, G rounds because, these companies are like, look, the exits aren't, you know, the acquisition exits are a little harder, especially when we have big valuations. We might as well just drag this thing to IPO and then use the IPO as another funding round. So yep. we'll, get, we'll get into some of that stuff uh, next, next early next year when we dive into it. Um, well, and, and let me ask you this to, to kind of extend that out a little further, too. Like, again, cloud providers, right? Yeah. They really haven't acquired legacy software companies, you know, infrastructure companies. Um, and at the end of the day, like the, everyone fully admits, like the growth area, a lot of a lot of times these days might be into enterprise on-prem data centers, right? And and there's Outposts, there's Arc, there's Anthos. Um, they just keep adjusting these offerings and and twiddling and tuning and you know everything I've seen so far is limited success. I won't say a failure by any means. The, you know the products continue to grow, they continue to get customers. But they're not growing like wildfire. No, either. I mean, it's, I mean, there's been, you know, they they launched. Uh, you know, the industry sort of freaked out. Oh my gosh, they're going outside the cloud. They're talking cloud differently. But yeah, I mean, there's there's been big articles written about, uh, you know, Anthos being, you know, maybe a ten million dollar business for for GCP, and um, you know, Andy Jassy being frustrated that outposts haven't taken off faster than they are, and. Um, you know, on, on paper, they've done a lot of the right things, um, not to knock any of those solutions. They, you know, on paper, they sound really interesting. Like we're going to extend our control plane and our services out to your, out to your environment. They've, you know, sort of gotten through the whole thing of like, do we do this on your own provided hardware? Do we provide our own hardware? But I think at the end of the day, it, it, it boils down to the real basic thing of like, if you've ever dealt with anybody's data center, there are never two that are exactly the same and there's always nuance and there's, whereas if you're dealing with the cloud, like it's always the same, or at least it's 99% closer to being the same than, you know, the politics, the people, the weird things that go on in the data center. And it's just, that part's really hard. Um, yep. you know, I, you know, I, I, I think about this sort of, you know, coming back to things we talked about at the beginning, you know, for us, we got started, this show had a lot of VMware talk. Um, we had a lot of people that would listen because they were, VM admins, and they were trying to figure out maybe what was going to be next. Um, can you think of any announcement other than going, you know, spinning out and being public again as a, you know, as a, as a completely independent public company that came out of VMware this year? Nothing that I would call significant or surprising. No, I mean, I, I feel right. like I most- just feel like it's it's you know extensions of the existing value prop. In many ways, yeah. I mean, I feel like you know they've they've made somewhat interesting numbers. I mean, there's been some some growth, and the SaaS business is growing a little bit. But I mean, like, yeah, I don't feel like there was anything significant, especially you know in the stuff that they do on prem. Like their their SaaS business is maybe a couple of billion dollars now, which is you know the stuff they sell to cloud providers, which is interesting. But I feel like the on prem stuff for them is. You know, there's some networking edge stuff that they're doing, some SD WAN, and but I mean, like, you know, if you had if you had said like five years ago or eight years ago, like you're going to know of VMware as a as a player in the networking space, and that's maybe the most you know 
news they're going to make in a year, you'd be like, no, you're out of your mind. They're going to be, they're, they're going to be a cloud player and a hybrid cloud. And it's like, yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's, you know, and, and maybe it's partially because we don't, we don't pay attention to them as, as closely as we used to, but you know, I don't feel like anybody's you know freaking out by, by what VMware did. And I think that's just another sign of, you know, the, the things going on on-prem are far less, you know, making change in the stuff happening in the cloud in, in all sorts of yeah. ways. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll extend it into, you know, kind of similar topic, maybe a little bit, um, Kubernetes, right? Kubernetes, I mean, it keeps growing yep. um, and there's more releases and everything keeps going, but, you know, and again, you're, you're close to a day to day. So, right. you know, I'll kind of give my, my view on it outside looking in because I'm definitely more outside looking in on this. Um, I feel like a, a little bit like that of like, okay, the hype has died, died down a little bit. And, and, you know, there's always this idea of like, you know, especially again, those with a startup mentality, they want to go do cool stuff. They want to get visionary stuff. They want to go do new stuff. It almost feels like Kubernetes is reaching that, that I don't want to say steady state, but it has slowed down. And some of that excitement has moved into other areas, almost adjacent to oh, Kubernetes yeah. in yeah, many definitely. ways. Yeah, Kubernetes is, is it's in an interesting place because, I mean, it's not that the technology hasn't, has sort of stopped, but it has become, it has become much more, um, you know, make it stable, right? I mean, they did this weird thing where they're, they're going to move from four releases a year to three releases a year. To me, why they didn't just go to two or even one a year, I don't totally get that. Um, you know, I, I feel like most of the companies that I know, you know, they either are like, hey, uh, you know, I know how to upgrade clusters, I'll just do it myself. So whenever you give it to me, cool. Like they're not consuming features at the pace that there was back, you know, two years ago, three years ago. They may as well go to a more LTS kind of life cycle. Um, but you're right. It's, you know, people talk about Kubernetes as being boring, um, which is what infrastructure should ultimately be. Um, you know, you're, you're right. There's a lot of adjacent stuff, and maybe we'll get into some of that in a, in a few minutes. I, I think the other thing people are kind of realizing is, you know, a lot of the, you know, Kubernetes is sort of hitting, also hitting the sort of like growing in the market. There's much more adoption. It's in much more places. Like we talk about it on the edge, and we talk about it in the cloud and managed cloud and on-prem. And um, But there's also, it's you know, it's also hitting sort of a trough of disillusionment in terms of, hey, where's the, where's the great, developer experience that was sort of promised to us that, you know, sort of, you know, we, we didn't do PaaS anymore because we're going to do Kubernetes. And, you know, we're kind of coming back to seeing this thing where people are going, oh, okay, it didn't materialize. Like, we're going to have to go create what that thing looks like. And so there's this whole new kind of buzz around like, okay, is anybody going to figure out how to make it easy for developers to use Kubernetes? And, um, but it, it, yeah, you're right. It's, there's, Kubernetes is sort of stable. Everybody gets that. There's people trying to find those skills. But yeah, the buzz around it, whether it's at KubeCon or whatever, is now around, it's around GitOps, it's around software supply chains, it's around service mesh and like how service mesh is going to evolve, um, all those other things, which, you know, is pretty normal and natural for for a, for a, a place. But, you know, no, nobody's writing articles anymore about it. Like, hey, it's the fifth or sixth birthday of Kubernetes. Like, that train has, has long since passed, <laughs> and, and people don't care about right. that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, in that context, security's gonna, security has blown up over the last couple of years. A lot of acquisitions. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see a ton of acquisitions in this space. I mean, we talked about Sysdig, but there's a ton of companies, um, you know, you just need a couple of really high profile hacks to, to remind everybody like, Hey, 
None of you are very good at security. None of you are very good at keeping up with software updates. None of you are very good at patching. It's not something that you prioritize. And every time this happens, boom, you know, you get these massive things, whether it's, you know, the new log4j thing or, you know, the uh, SolarWinds hack. So software, you know, secure software supply chains uh, is is not a buzzword going away anytime soon or DevSecOps. It's, it will be discussed a lot, um, but it's, a, and, you know, and I think we're going to see a lot of money flow into that space. Agreed. Agreed. Um, the last trend we'll get into, and then we'll actually get into some predictions here for a little while. Um, I just wanted to talk about, um, even though it's so funny, like, you know, I can hear some people when I mention all of these words, some people will get really interested and some people will just groan. And that's meta, metaverse, Web3, crypto, and NFTs. Um and you and I both, like, we've been very, uh, admittedly, I don't know that we've ever said it publicly, but we've both, I think, been very skeptical of all of it. Um, but then I started digging into all of it a couple a couple years ago, a, a couple months ago. Um, now, I, you know, I don't know Metaverse and NFTs necessarily, but the, the Web3 stuff and the crypto stuff, I started digging into it mainly just because I was like, all right, I, I want to go understand this like keep hearing this buzz you know the this set of buzzwords more and more and more and i will say this um and it'll go into my predictions more so later on the underlying blockchain tech i find really really fascinating um but there is so much confusion um to go along with the hype um and that's the biggest thing right now and and I also think certain things, they're just going to get a bad reputation and it's always going to be that way. I think NFTs, I don't think NFTs will ever get a good reputation <laughs> in the yeah. industry. And the only way to make NFTs get a good reputation is to rebrand them or call them something else that's going to have a better connotation at some point. Like I just think it, NFTs are almost to the point of being permanently you know just written off as stupid yeah i this is another topic i think we're going to get into in one of our, our look aheads here in, in january you know kind of, kind of mm -hmm. talk to some folks who can be a little bit objective about it but yeah i mean i think to me the the biggest challenge of this space is like it most of it most of the attention tends to be around the crypto piece of it right and cryptocurrencies and speculation and 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 there's you know there's rightfully so a lot of craziness there and a lot of you know like hey wait I, this this doesn't align to the thing i'm used to in terms of like money or whatever um so yeah that's you know and, and i think the more i read about it the more people are like well web3 is really just the rebranding of all the bad pr that came out of you know crazy crypto stuff and so yeah it'll be it'll be interesting it's it, i feel like the last month or so and i don't mean to sort of be negative about this but like I have read more articles that are just like, I mean, from from very smart people, from very, you know, people who have done stuff. And again, maybe it's just old man yelling at the metaverse or whatever, but like, who are just like, this stuff is either I can't understand it or it's all just, you know, it's either bullshit or it's a scam or whatever. And, and you know, I need to dig into some of those articles, but like, it's, it's hit the... All of a sudden, in the last three or four or five months, and maybe it's just because more eyeballs are on it, or maybe it's because Facebook changed their name to Meta, or I don't know what it was, but like we have come to a head really, really quickly. And it, <laughs> there needs to be some way to like get people to go. How do I make sense of it, right? I, I, like I saw a really interesting tweet from Kelsey Hightower, who we've had on the show, and lots of people know is just a really smart dude, and he's like, 
I can't make sense of any of this. I wish somebody would just like, where is a, you know, where's the hello world of web three that I can go right. play around with. And and he's like, and I kind of feel like if Kelsey can't figure some of that stuff out, you know, us, us not as Kelsey smart people um, are going to struggle. And the, the last thing you want is, I mean, it's fine if you want to be a niche and maybe you're going to make a lot of money in it, but if the mainstream can't figure out what your thing is and you constantly just have to tell them, well, you're too dumb to figure it out or you just don't understand as a marketing person, like that's not the best message to have. So I'm, I'm, I'm super interested to figure out how we unfogify this thing. Cause maybe it is really interesting and maybe it is the future. It's just, it's, it's hard. It's hard for us dumb ones to figure out what it is. Agreed. Agreed. Um, you want to get into predictions? We, 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 we do this every year. Uh, these are obviously always, uh, you know, destined to fail. Cause if we, if we could barely be good at predicting, we'd probably be, out of these jobs and living on an island somewhere. Um, we put our predictions from, we always are sort of transparent. We put them out year over year. We'll, we'll put links in the show notes to our previous ones. You want to go first? You want to, want to throw yeah, out some, some uh, ones guaranteed yeah. to be perfect? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll throw out the first one. And, and actually it's, I mean, it just is a direct time to something we already talked about and that, and it's something I predicted previously. Um, and it kind of sort of, I mean, it got more attention, but again, going back to zero trust models and security, um, I feel like between the rise of ransomware, um, then what you had mentioned earlier about, you know, supply chain vulnerabilities, and then combine that with, you know, probably one of the most secure jobs and highly sought after jobs in our world right now is folks that do like AWS IAM full time, like, like the security, the cloud security person. Right. And so this idea of like all of the different areas and all of the different vulnerability spots and all of the risk associated, especially with like a ransomware attack. Um, I mean, it is just getting insane. Uh, and you can tell now, you know, and again, as more and more companies are going all in with digital, even if their day job isn't necessarily like a brick and mortar company store, but they want to do a website and they want to do digital transformation. Well, guess what? You know, security vulnerabilities, there's supply chain vulnerabilities, there's all these other things going on. And so for me, like, I think this just keeps getting ratcheted up every single year and it is really reaching uh, a critical moment in our industry with zero trust models yeah yeah now security will will always be top of mind and and uh, just never kind of gets funded to the level that it needs to or it never gets you know it's always like i don't want i don't want to get hacked but i also don't want to uh, you know, I don't want to prioritize having anything slow down either. And, and nobody, nobody's quite figured out how to find that right balance, but, but you're right. It's, uh, it's just not getting any better. I mean, it's, it, I shouldn't say that. Like there's probably somebody, you know, riding in the car going for a run that works in security that's shaking their fist going, it is getting better. Like, but it, it, you know, it just, it, it feels like, uh, and maybe this is, you know, maybe this is just in, you know, kind of like when you have like, if you have like really good referees in a sporting event and you never hear from them and then all of a sudden there's like one bad call, all of a sudden it's like referees are terrible. You know, maybe that's the way security is. Like maybe it is mostly really good except for those, you know, one or two times when it's really bad and, and they get, you know, they get the bad end of the stick or whatever. But yeah. Um, yep. So I, you know, we, we, we both have a few things sort of predicting where we think the cloud providers will end up. Um, 
One thing that's really interesting to me, and this isn't so much a prediction, I guess it's a prediction, but it's sort of a, just a, an observation that I think is interesting. I, I've, I've been really interested in seeing all the people who are sort of publicly leaving AWS. And I don't know if this is just a, a result of, you know, their stock prices, you know, slowed down a little bit from the crazy, you know, thing it's done over the last few years. And AWS tends to pay a good chunk of what they do in, in, in stock appreciation. Some people have just said, hey, you know, maybe I'll leave because I can find other places. But I feel like there's going to be a, a generation of, of AWS people who really know how AWS works really well. They've lived it internally and they've sort of, you know, they they see they see the crystal ball a little bit. And, and I think some of these folks that we see leaving are going to go start the next generation of not clouds that compete with AWS, but like the next interesting services, right? I think if you've got the insight as to how people are using Amazon and, and all those sort of things that we always say give them kind of an unfair advantage to building the next services, I think we're going to see a lot of these people that say, hey, you know, I'm hanging up my, my AWS hat, if you will, um, are going to start these next generation things. And I think that's going to be sort of interesting because usually, you know, whenever there's the, you know, like we've seen the VMware mafia or we saw the PayPal mafia or whatever you know, people call it, like, I think we're going to start seeing the AWS mafia, if you will, become a lot of these next generation companies, which are always fun to watch. Yeah. And we've talked about it. We, we, we hadn't talked about it recently, though. I was going to say, we've talked about it a bunch in the past, but I mean, you know, in after 500 and some shows, I don't know that we've talked about it in a while. The old uh, the old model of pioneers, settlers, and farmers, yeah. right? And and what we're, I think, starting to see, just like we did, you know, there's the, the pioneers that kind of built everything, and we're out in front and forging ahead, and, and guess what? They don't like it when it gets boring, or they don't like it, you know, that's just kind of what drives them, is charging ahead. And so, it is a natural progression. For, you know, the way I look at it is is what we're seeing here is a maturity model. And, and you know, like you had mentioned earlier, hey, we're not seeing, you know, triple digit growth anymore year over year because the numbers just get too big. And, and you right. know, you look at the size of these organizations, there just isn't room uh, for the pioneers or, well, maybe there is, but they're not interested anymore. They want to move on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's not an indication of, of the company being bad. It's just, we've seen exactly this throughout history. It's, it's, there are people that are great for certain years or, you know, certain part of the crossing the chasm, you know, curve. And there are others who, who fit, you know, at a different point in time. So, yeah, no, I think that's, yep. uh, we're just at that time. It's, it's, less a, an indication of, you know, because I, I said, I think I said after the AWS show, like, I wouldn't be surprised if their revenue numbers just blow up from going forward because we're hitting the the bigger part of the market, right? The, you know, we're not hitting the, the sort of upward slope, we're hitting the fat part of that curve. So yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, horses for courses, if you will, I think people say. Yep. Um, what else you got? So I, along those lines, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to talk about Microsoft here. Um, I really do think, I mean, because now what you're starting to see more and more, and you, you had mentioned earlier, we're talking about, you know, revenues and, and, and published revenues. Microsoft always loved to blend everything together and see, you know, how big they are, but it was always had a lot of other things in there. Well, guess what? I, I really do think going forward, um, maybe it's this year, maybe it's next year, but I do think Microsoft will become the top public cloud worldwide. Um, and I think AWS has long held that, that cherished number one spot. Um, but I just, I just think again, where they are and where they're positioned and, you know, you look at, uh, 
where we're headed, again, you said about mentioning crossing the chasm. Well, I think AWS was well was better positioned for the early adopter market, but I think Microsoft is better positioned once you cross the chasm into that mid adopter to late adopter market. And so that you know, I I, I can see a, a very easily see a situation in which Microsoft overtakes AWS longer term and. You know, it could be one of those, hey, the first 10 to 15 years, AWS was number one. But as the market matured and grew, Microsoft uh, became number one. Yeah, no, I could I could most definitely see it. I mean, Microsoft has, you know, a, a track record of being a fast follower, right? They've they've grown. I think the things about Microsoft that are really interesting to me is, um, A, I think the whole GitHub, you know, the things that GitHub is now able to do in both from just like, keeping your code to collaboration to all those sort of things they've done forever is, is interesting. But I mean, all the stuff they're doing about, you know, giving developers access to computing power right within the platform, being able to do stuff that's more serverless oriented, you know, more, you know, uh, GitHub runners and tasks and all those sort of thing. I mean, I think that's super powerful and underappreciated. And then I think the other part is, you know, as we get into the more mainstream users of the cloud, like they're going to, and I've mentioned this a million times, like, they don't just want primitives. They want higher level things put together for them. And, and Microsoft just has a better track record of being like, I get how to make things into applications that you use as opposed to just building blocks that you then have to piece together yourself. And, you know, if we think about the maturity of the cloud and who's kind of coming into it, you know, you've got the tool that all the developers use natively, and then you've got this other mechanism to cover the enterprise. I think, you know, yeah, it puts puts Azure in a really a really good position. They they've done a really good job of acquiring and catching up, and 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 again, eating away at things that Amazon is not necessarily great at. They're not great at developer experience. They're not great at building higher level uh, sort of application level things. And again, you know, Amazon is is fighting a you know multi 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 front battle with a lot of different people. Agreed. Agreed. Do you want to close out with, I know we both in our predictions put something related to Alphabet and Google. Do you want to close out with our, where we think that's going to go? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I think, the, you know, like I mentioned in the beginning, Google's going to, you know, apparently, um, I never remember if it's George or Thomas Korean. I think it's Thomas Korean is the is the CEO of, of Thomas. GCP. Yeah, it's one of the Korean brothers. Well, um, the, the only reason I know that is because I was at NetApp when we and right. we just said GK when when GK was there. So I always in my head have to go. Well, it's not right, GK. It's, right, it's TK. So, the, <laughs> so you know, the one that their mom loves the most, the one who runs Google. right. Um, <laughs> no, apparently his contract is is coming up. Whether it's in 2020, 2020 and 2022, I, I think he's sort of proven that he can find a way to make the money. It's probably not you know, in the, the most optimal way that like the Google culture would think. But we always knew that like the Google culture was never about talking to people and selling to the enterprises about talking to people. And so I think he's sort of cracking that code. But I think, you know, from what I hear, they're they're finally going, well, I'm not just going to sell you the cloud. I'm going to sell you marketing services around ads. And I'm going to sell you access to super smart data scientists and engineering. And like, I think he's figured out how to take the totality of what you know, Google and Alphabet do, even though they're far behind and, you know, they're, they're applying that to these, these companies. And I think, you know, if you do that in the right way for a company that thinks like, I've got to go through massive digital transformation, that's kind of appealing, especially if you're like, you know, we're, we're not at our core, a technology company, we're a car company, we're a pharmaceutical. So, I mean, I, 
I will be very surprised if if Google does the Google thing and says, "Hey, we're giving up on this." I think it's, I think it's gotten too big. It, it probably doesn't make enough money yet to really be make or break at Google. But I feel like, you know, they're gonna they're gonna sign up at least for for version two of of uh, of Thomas Curry and doing his thing and and figuring out what he can do with it if they throw some more money at it. So I'm I'm not I'm I'm probably more bullish on. They'll survive after 2023. I don't know that I'm bullish that they'll become number two or whatever, but I, I think they he's he's cracked certain codes that uh, are probably appealing to you know the higher ups at, at Google that they could build upon. Agreed. And so my portion of that is, yeah, I don't think they'll get number two. Um, I think they'll settle into three. But again, if you look at and this is something you and I have talked about both on show and off show. You know, if you look at the idea of take market categories, right and and in this instance, we have the huge market category of public cloud. And in any category, historically, you're going to have a, a category king. And then you're going to have somebody who's, you know, the number two that's pretty big that's going to keep them honest. And then you might have a number three. But you very rarely, without going into like DigitalOcean and subcategories, like we talked about earlier, of like, hey, I want to be the SMB and developer cloud, there just isn't that much. Uh, room for anyone else in that category anymore. And so for me, Google can be a very good third, but I think the way Google continues to do that is they do actually take a little bit of that Google DNA and apply it and almost become a like, hey, we're the public cloud with these kinds of Google specialized services, right? Like yeah. dig into dig into what makes Google Google and embrace it and not try and be, hey, I'm the Azure, or I'm the AWS, but you know, and, and like I can, I can tell you, for instance, you know, uh, again, talking to customers and and some of the products and partners that I talk to, like I can tell you right now, it's not out there in any of their stuff, but but Google, the Google Cloud from a like reaction times and API calls, it is like bar none the fastest cloud out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so like, like how do they become like the performant cloud or like, you know, the AI cloud or some of these other things. And so how do they take a little bit of that Google magic dust and sprinkle it in to differentiate themselves and just honestly embrace third, but become their own identity and their third, but they're also this kind of cloud that attracts a very specific customer. Yeah. And I think honestly, like, I think that approach works. Um, it can work for Google, but I think it could also work for a Cloudflare or it could work for a DigitalOcean because, you know, if we went back to the original, like when we first were doing the show and everything was sort of like these central buying centers, that might not have worked, right? You sort of probably had to pick one, but we're seeing very distributed buying centers, lines of business, individual groups by project. And and those can go to any cloud you want to, right? And and because they're so interconnected, you're going to have multiple clouds involved with applications, anyways. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a there's an opportunity there uh, to really define who they are um, for any of these clouds that really define who they are, and for people to go, I'm going to pick the best of the best of breed because you know I don't want just the average of breed. I want the best of breed. So. Yeah, yep. lots lots going on. It's uh, I feel like we're very much at a tipping point for the cloud. Like we were, this is sort of like generation one, and I feel like you know we're at the beginning of what's going to become generation two, which is very cool. It means there's going to be a lot of a lot of new stuff for us to talk about, which we always like. 
Agreed. Agreed. Do you want to wrap up there? Yeah, man. I We've been going for a very long time. I, I tried to <laughs> warn everybody up front. There's probably nobody still listening at this point. But if you are, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. We, we try and thank you every week. But, um, you know, it's amazing to us that, that people give us some of their time every week, that they reach out, that they give us feedback, that, um, you know, they, they appreciate us, you know, connecting them with really smart people. And, and that's always been the goal. So um, thank you to everybody. I hope everybody has a, an awesome holiday. I hope everybody is gets time with family. And, uh, you know, hopefully you, you come back and, and give us a little more of your time and, and we give you something valuable in 2022. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So with that, we will wrap it up from there. So on behalf of Brian and myself, again, thank you. But also, too, if you have a, if you have a moment, go ahead and rate us uh, on one of the, the major stores that are kind of out there, wherever you get this podcast. If they have a rating system, we certainly would appreciate it. And looking forward uh, to a fantastic 2022 with everyone. We will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.